0: Morning, men. Well, we got a lively group this morning. Goodness. Good to see all of you here. Now, men, y'all've got to know something. A couple of things. Uh, one is the women's group beat us in attendance. It's not okay with me. We're men's church. You know, we're man's man church. Uh, uh, so, uh, we praise God for our women. Um, but man, they're packing it out. We're having to set up a couple more tables. And, uh, however, men, um, you guys are coming out strong, too. It's good to have all of you. I still think this is probably the strongest men's group in Amarillo, Texas, with probably the most men, and I praise God for our study, for our direction, and how we make an appeal to to men and want to be a manly church. I'm not hesitant to say that, and today we're going to talk about some of those things and those characteristics. I want to start off this morning by thanking Charlie Peters last week for his message on the Word and the importance of our words, that uh a couple of things to remember about the message that Charlie put forth. We could do a sermon series on this, a message series on this, but a couple of things to know. Your words are never neutral. They're never neutral. We don't just throw words out, right? Words are never neutral. The other thing I would say is remember that your words are eternal. Um, you know, words are just one of those things that... uh that tend to last and they drift. Uh, I woke up this morning. I was telling Allison about a dream that I had right before I woke up and that was a wild dream. All of a sudden it was Easter and I could go on and on about this dream. But what's, what's funny about the dream were, was just, uh, this, this thing, this thought that just kept coming to my mind and I had to write it down. And I, I'm one of those guys that hey, you guys have been around me long enough to know that sometimes these little phrases come to me and I, I tend to pin down phrases. And uh, this was what I heard this morning. Are we more concerned about our destiny or our legacy? And I think that's very powerful. Uh, I woke up praying over that and said, Lord, why did I hear that? Are we more concerned? Now, let me tell you something about Jesus, because we tend to think it's it deals more about our destiny. But Jesus was more concerned about his legacy. He was more concerned about disciples being made in order that the kingdom of God not only would be fulfilled, but that we would see heaven upon this earth. And that really happens through his legacy, through who he is. So we need to think on that. So here's the cool thing that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me this morning, that when we really get concerned about our legacy, now destiny is important. Don't get me wrong. You don't want to spend eternity in hell. That's not a good place. All right. Uh, we talked about William Booth on Sunday and how what his seminary would look like. We we don't need that, um. But what I would say is that destiny is very important. And so, men, as we have our faith in Christ Jesus, we're sealed. All right, I'll I'll run with the saints in that. We continue to pursue the Lord and that type of thing. But I would also say our legacy. We've got to be sharing Jesus. Uh, uh, another statement that I made Sunday: When you increase the availability, you increase what? The consumption. Very important. When we increase the availability of Jesus Christ to this world, we increase the consumption. We increase that legacy. So I really felt like the Lord laid that on me and I wanted to share that with you this morning. All right. Your questions are on the tables. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's go to the Lord and word of prayer. Father God, I just pray as we jump out this morning, Father, that uh, we'll be concerned to both our destiny and our legacy, but more importantly, that our story would be your story. Maybe I should say that different, Jesus, that your story would be our story. Uh, Father, because that's the only story we really have in the end is what you've done in us. And so, Lord, we just pray that we'll be men of God, that you'll ra- raise us up, and, Father, that we will be found faithful in your name. Amen. Psalm eleven one is where I was a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of wrote uh, quite a bit of stuff on this, so I want us to continue to move forward. There it says, When the foundations are being destroyed what can the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, when it looks like everything's falling apart around you, what can the righteous do? I want you to know that David had the right question here. He asked the right question. Hey, I'm I'm a righteous man, not necessarily because of what I've done, but because of what God has done in me and for me and through me, what can I do when I see everything? You know that David winds up making a pretty good impact. He leaves a pretty good legacy, right? So I just want you to think with me for just a moment. There is a $3.5 trillion something or another that's about to take place or trying to, trying to take place. And, and it's interesting. If you watch this infrastructure package, there are some things that kind of come out and you may say, Curtis, why are you going to cover that? Cause I'm going to ask the question. Are we winning? The scripture says the debtor is a slave to the lender is what the scripture says. So let me just give you a couple things that are in this bill. I uh I just want you to know, know some things. Um it, it uh is set up right now. A hundred million, a hundred billion dollars is designated right now uh for eight million illegal immigrants to be granted amnesty. That means there's gonna be some new voters in the country. Uh some things will change very, very quickly over that. Um there are, golly, there's so much in this thing. Um, it further radical radicalizes the abortion agenda. Um, it's looking at putting faith-based schools out of business, and they will no longer uh, be subsidized or be eligible for any types of subsidies from the government if they don't teach the government's um, agenda. And so uh, there's also uh, perpetuates labor shortage, um, Commissions on climate police, so uh, they would like for our policemen to become uh, ticket givers over what, what, how, uh, how new your vehicle is, uh, whether or not it's up to emissions, uh, that type of thing. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting to me what what took place here a couple of weeks ago. If you noticed, uh, Joe Biden wound up in California to say, "Hey, all of these these shipping containers and everything, we're going to find a way to bring them in. We just have a labor shortage." Well, did you notice when he when he wound up in California? He wound up in California the day after, the day after uh DeSantis in Florida said, Bring them here. Bring them here. We'll unload every single one of them. We'll come to find out yesterday. I had a gentleman stop by my house. He's out of Yuma, Yuma Arizona, uh, yesterday evening, and we visited for quite some time. And he deals with truckers, and he said, the problem is any truck that is uh over the age of like two thousand and 12, if it's older than that, uh, it is given a ticket the moment it drives into California because of emissions, and it deals with emissions, and because they have tightened down so much on emissions, they're just leaving the ships with the containers out. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to consider, and men, if we watch all of this, I'm not trying to, to go towards Democrats, Republicans, or anything else. I'm just trying to say, hey, where's the church amidst all of this? Because we know the truth. The truth is the debtor is is always going to be a slave to the lender. The the truth is is that the more in debt the country goes, you you understand the government has no money but ours. Did you did you know that? Okay. You need to know that. All right. There's some things when and if we look at things it looks like in many ways we ask the same question that David asked. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And maybe a better question might have been what have the righteous failed to do that the foundations have been destroyed? I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I told you that I grew up in a school system at Tulia, Texas that taught the three R's, reading, ri- writing, and arithmetic. All right. And, ho- and, and we didn't have the critical race theory back in the day and all that. By the way, if you're more eligible for a job because of the color of your skin, um, that's a problem. All right. It shouldn't matter. It, it, it should, it, it's amazing what we do with race. Psalm 11.1, 1, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The righteous must know, let me say this, who the enemy is. And this is where we're about to make a turn here. Because we point the finger, we point the finger, we point the finger. Watch this. The righteous must know who the enemy is. Look, if people don't have Jesus, they are not the enemy. I'm going to say it again. If people don't have Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, they are not the enemy. Listen to me. They are potential. Joe Biden's potential. Alright. There's, there's all kinds of what we have to do as believers in Jesus Christ is understand we have a responsibility first to pray for them. Now, this is a very simple message. It looks like, hey, hey, uh, we we just need to need to pray for them. But here's what happens is we immediately start labeling them as enemies, enemies of the state, if you will. The righteous understand this. If people don't have Jesus, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and they are led by the flesh. And I want you to hear me. The Scripture says this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It can't do it. And so if you're led by your flesh, you're led by sin. If you're led in sin, in Scripture, sin always equals death. So if you want a formula, there it is. Napoleon Bonaparte said this, the battlefield is a scene of constant chaos. The winner will be the one who controls that chaos, both of himself and his enemies. Now that's interesting. Who's going to control the chaos here? The world, I want you to know, man, makes disciples as well. I mentioned this in Sunday's message. In Sunday's message, I talked about how the world is discipling as well. If you don't believe me, just look at these next generations that are coming up. They're being discipled. And it's much easier to disciple in the world's way because you can put a phone in someone's hand because you can put a game boy in someone's hand. I don't know if they're called game boys today. All right, but you can put all these different things in their hand that's continually keeping that mind entertained. So here's the truth. The truth is we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ and that everyone is potential. And we've got to learn what Jesus meant when he says, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Our children are taught to be tolerant of everybody and everything today in our school systems. Homosexuals, abortionists, Muslims, uh, Everyone except the Bible-believing Christians. I mentioned about three weeks ago that one of our kids over here in the junior high, right here in Amarillo, was told to close his Bible at lunch. So the dad called me, and I said, well, yeah, I'm going to get involved. And so we did, and we got it worked out, right? And come to find out, the teacher told him to close his Bible. She's an atheist, and she said it was offending me. Look... <laughs> I said this a couple of weeks ago. Environmental studies have replaced economics. Globalism has replaced geography. Humanism has replaced history. Sensitivity training has replaced sociology. Socialism has replaced, has replaced social studies. I wanted to uh, tell you some, some actual history about what the enemy looks like. Who is the enemy? Is it these people? Is it the ones who are writing this curriculum? Is it the ones that are passing the laws? Or are they simply potential? And we need to find a way that we too can make an appeal and bring them to Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, all of us had to be let in by the blood of Jesus Christ. We had to be discipled to get to that place. So what does Satan look like? Who is the enemy? The enemy we would identify as Satan. Well, hopefully we don't identify him as a person. Red, pointed tail, has a pitchfork, and he's got horns. You've seen pictures. (laughs) So I don't think that's what Satan looks like. As a matter of fact, I want you to see in Scripture what Satan looks like, what our enemy looks like. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. Now, it's interesting to me because as you read Revelation 6, you're going to see a couple of horses here. You're going to see some things unpacked, actually four. But what you'll find is this white horse actually in the Greek is a pale horse. And, and, he, and what you'll see Jesus riding is a victor's horse, and it's a horse of purity. It's completely white, but they look similar. What you'll find is that this one who who rides holds a bow, but he does not hold any arrows. Useless. I mean, a bow without arrows, y'all know this, right? Pretty useless. Uh, Jesus, on his horse, carries a sword. In, in this particular case, he has a crown. And this particular crown that he's wearing on his head is known as the Stephano's crown. It's a victor's crown, so it looks like this horse is going out to conquer to make victory. I want you to hear me. Jesus has already had victory. He's already worn this crown and he's moved on, moved on. As a matter of fact, the crown that's on Jesus's head is known as a diadem. And a diadem is royalty, meaning that now he reigns. A big difference in what's taking place. One is trying to overtake and overcome. And how's he doing it? He's doing it by deception. He's saying, I'll give you just about everything you want. I, I look like the real deal. I, I look good. Everything in me is, is clean. Everything looks like your savior. I'm going to come out and we're going to conquer. Well, here's the thing. Jesus has already conquered. He's conquered death. He's already paved the way. He's made the way for us. This counterfeit looks like Jesus. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus warns us this way, man. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What Jesus is reduced down to, men, we've got to know this, is deception. Or I'm sorry, not G. What Satan is reduced down to is deception. He deceives. He looks like the real thing. Other people buy in. Other people are discipled in his ways. You know, we live in the most religious time in history. There's a religion everywhere. Even us as Christians have looked at at war and oftentimes become distracted. We forget we must win the battles before we can win the war. Even the most spiritual people or self-proclaimed spiritual Christian people are fighting wars that have already been won and losing battles that that should have never been fought. And let me say it this way. I'll just give you an example. Years ago, I went on a mission trip and we were down at South Padre and I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time. You probably heard the story. Got a phone call, asked me to be a driver to go down on this mission trip and I said, okay, so I wind up in South Padre because I was like, I was a young man. You know, who doesn't want to go to South Padre Island over spring break? So I wind up down there. I'm around these passionate Christian people. I'm, I'm listening to them, but there was one that really impacted me because every time he prayed, he prayed against Satan. I mean, he went after him. He was in a battle. He, he was fighting and fighting and fighting. And I got to where I like to be around him. He was yelling, screaming, praying and, and really in the battlefield. But, but here's, here's the truth. I mean, he was fighting this war, but he wasn't winning the battle with his girlfriend. As a matter of fact, even on the trip, they were trying to find a way that they could sleep together on the, uh, in the hotel and, and sneaking around and, uh, getting in some trouble. And I was like, man, he's sitting here binding Satan and casting Satan out and he's fighting this huge war out here. And I love to hear him pray, but he's losing this battle. And it confused me a little bit. Had some confusion. You see, sometimes men, as men of God, we, we look at all these things out here that are of a sphere of concern, a $3.5 trillion dollar, uh, deal that that uh, infrastructure package. And we're so wrapped up. And I've gone and, and tried to read through and try to study and say, what in the world is this going to do to this country? And in the same token, I'm saying, I have to ask myself, am I winning my battle? I've got to let it get personal. You see, how's your marriage this morning, man? How's your quiet time with the Lord? How are your kids? Who needs your time, your resources, your prayer, most importantly, your love? Last week, one of you stopped by the church with about three books for me to read. And one of those books that you gave me was knowing each of your children in an intimate way. Powerful book. Just talking about how I can know that the, I, I can't treat them all the same. Jesus can't treat all of us the same, right? I mean, our relationships are different because each child has a different characteristic, different traits. Even though they might have a similar genetic code, they're very, very different. And so even for us, we need this. And and we need to know God intimately, and we need to know our battles intimately so that we can win these battles. We're binding Satan in the war, but we lose battles. And one of the main battles we lose is right here in ourselves. Without Christ, there is no hope. We will never see the enemy because the enemy might just be us. Did you hear me? If people don't have Christ, there is no hope. They're simply led by the flesh. And we have a great responsibility to introduce them to our Savior so that they can win that first battle. And then they can move on towards the wars that really need to be fought. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our own heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That our own heart, if left to itself, look at this, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That makes you feel good about it, doesn't it? Come on, man. Revelation 20.11-15, During the millennial reign of Jesus, Satan will be bound, and yet some will still rebel. You ever notice that? That always threw a curveball at me when I'd read that scripture and when I'd study the book of Revelation. I was like, where are these people? Jesus is reigning, and they're still rebelling against him. And some just simply will. Some of us use the excuse, the devil made me do it. Come on, man. (laughs) Might have been your deceitful heart, but let's keep going. Let me ask you a question. Does Christ make a difference in your life? It goes back to Charlie's message last week. I mean, um, for out of the, the mouth, the heart speaks. Is it speaking this wickedness? Is it speaking these things? Or does it speak goodness and the graces and the mercies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. Satan has been defeated. He's riding a horse around looking like he's out to conquer. But he's already been defeated. So what is our problem? It might just be us. It might, you know, I said this years ago, I said, you might be your worst enemy. We're always blaming Satan for attacking us. Are you that important? I mean, how many how many people are even in the United States? What's it up to now? Come on, man, 300, 330, give or take. <laughs> I'd love to go on that one. We don't know. We don't have borders, but let's keep going. <laughs> Uh, give or take, right? So, so here's the thing. All these people and everybody thinks they're getting attacked by Satan. No, you might be deceived by his angels and the other spirits that are out there, but the truth is usually we're our number one enemy. We break ourselves down. We say we're not worthy. We don't feel good about ourselves. We don't feel saved. We don't feel cleansed. We don't feel like we're righteous, and because of that, we are proven ineffective for the kingdom. Look, Satan, whether he gets your soul or not, if he can get your testimony, if he can get if he doesn't get your test, if he doesn't get your destiny and he's able to, to steal your legacy, men, then you are ineffective for the kingdom. He's just got to get you to deceive yourself. If he, he and, and most, most time he doesn't have to get involved in that. Colossians 2 14 and 15 by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands speaking of Jesus watch this this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him this right here tells me that Christ is victorious and that those are who are in him uh Satan has been defeated Hebrews two fourteen since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that thought death that thought death, he might destroy the one whom who has the power of death, that is the devil. So here he says uh, that Jesus destroyed the powers of the evil one. Romans 5, 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Y'all are going to hear some more about this on Wednesday and Thursday. How much more? When we walk in Jesus Christ, because Satan's been defeated for those who walk in Christ. However, we still have battles to win, man. And most of those are right here in ourselves. Even G- Jesus said, why do you seek, the, seek to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? Why are you trying to see this big picture out here instead of winning this battle first? Right? Satan is limited to deception. But I want you to hear me. Deception has a great power. The reason why in Revelation we see Satan looking like Jesus is because if he can deceive, he can deceive those and lead them away from their Savior. Deception is powerful. Twist the truth, deceive you to the point of no longer believing, finding ways to lead us astray and disciple us into someone else's teaching or false teachings. So what do we do? Well, men, we have to first identify the enemy. You know, maybe you've, a few years ago, uh, we quit identifying the enemy in our, in our wars because we didn't want to label anyone. So the government said, Hey, we don't want to label anyone. We don't want to, t- we don't want to call people terrorists anymore. We don't want to put labels on people. And in a way, it sounds really good. But if you don't identify the enemy, it's going to be hard to take him out. Look, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated and he's defeated foe in your life. Sin may be there, right, along with a lack of confidence, but here's, here's the truth. Believe what the Scripture says about who you are being an overcomer in Christ. And as you believe that, begin then to name your challenges, name your enemies, get others to hear you name them. That's called accountability, right? It's, it's, it's the greatness of a battle buddy that we have the opportunity to say, you know what I struggle with? Sexual addiction. I struggle with um, alcohol. I struggle with. It, it may not even go that far. I struggle with um, um, bad words. I struggle with um, bad thoughts. I, I I struggle with anger. Probably one of the biggest ones that's out. I struggle with anger. Um, all of those things, guys. Here's the thing: learn to identify your personal enemy and get a battle buddy in there to help you with it. And when you name your enemies. Here's, here's the cool thing. Alcohol, pornography, pride, lewd behavior, anger, frustration. Get your band of brothers to help you and then begin to send rounds down range. Ask your brothers, did you pray for me today? It's called accountability. It's, it's okay for you to say, Hey, you know, I sent you a list last week. I just want to make sure you're praying over that list for me because I need help. I need your strength. And when you do this and you send rounds downrange, here's here's what happens. You become proactive, not reactive. Do you know we get really defensive when we're reactive? That's when we tend to lose our tempers, when someone confronts us because we've not been proactive in the way we've thought and the way that we're supposed to be. See, with all prayer and petition is what the, what the Apostle Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with perseverance and petition for all the saints. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the importance of walking in the Spirit. See, we have an expectation of those who don't walk in the Spirit to lead us correctly, even in our governmental ways. How can they? How can they? I believe it's our responsibility to win our battles. And as we do, God does spiritually promote. And we become men of influence. And when we become men of influence, I'm telling you, we'll change this country. Because here's the truth. Everyone's being discipled but not everyone's being led by the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. We'll get to that next week. Join me in a word of prayer. You got questions on your desk. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Father, for what you teach us, how you teach us, how you grow us up. Father, I pray that as we look at the foundations, Lord, that we look at the foundations that built us first. Father, your word says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the very foundation. And so, God, we just pray that we'll be men of the Spirit, And Father, we won't see others that don't know you as enemies, but we'll see them as potential. And Father, that you'll give us a way of persuasion in their life to bring them to be led by your Spirit. Then we can have the expectation that they would lead and lead well. Father, uh, blessed is the nation is what your word says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and that is you, Lord. We bless you, and we ask you to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.